0: Hello and welcome to the Skytime podcast with me, Simon Cousins. This is the podcast that promotes sky and profiles the people that drive the island's economy. As hospitality businesses prepare for opening from next week, there's a sense that some degree of normality is not far away. But there's still a lot of concern about what will happen when lockdown is lifted. This week, we hear of the huge costs for hoteliers and other accommodation providers as they prepare to reopen under COVID-19 operating guidelines. And we discuss the challenges of maintaining profitability as a price war breaks out among online travel agents. Also, I'll be speaking to Sergeant Bruce Crawford of Police Scotland about the challenges posed by a potential flood of visitors as lockdown ends. My first guest is a hotelier and restaurateur in Elgol. Claire Winskill has had an extremely diverse career up to this point, taking in health care and the legal profession. But memories of childhood holidays in the West Highlands finally drew her to Skye, where, as well as running Curus House, she's also a director of Sky Connect and on the board of the Association of Scotland's Self Caterers. Claire, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for inviting me, Simon.
0: Now it'd be fair to say you've reinvented yourself a couple of times. Let's start with your early career. What took you into the health service?
1: So both my parents trained at Guy's Hospital. Mum was a nurse, dad's a dentist, and um, I always have enjoyed after uh, people. Um, I do it now in a different way to when I was was nursing, but but yes, um, I had a place to read history at university when I left school. Didn't really see what I was going to do with a history degree, and I'd worked in an old people's home as a teenager and really loved it. So, because Mum and Dad trained at Guys, it was a natural progression, really, to go and try and get a place there. And quite a long time ago now, and uh, I trained there both as um, a registered general nurse and then as an intensive care nurse. And most of my career at Guys um, was was in intensive care, working at the time, looking after patients with um, multi organ failure and, and actually adult respiratory distress syndrome, which has parallels, sadly, with with the, the COVID symptoms. So I appreciate what the amazing people in the health service have done lately. And I wasn't wearing all the kit.
0: So what was the catalyst for you changing direction completely and going into the legal profession?
1: So I became involved as um, a patient advocate as an ICU nurse in terms of, this is going to sound difficult for some people, um, withdrawing treatment from patients who were conscious and of sound mind but didn't want to continue um, to be ventilated and actually there was one lady in particular who I nursed for many weeks who went through a difficult process but in that process I had to learn about the legal side of drawing treatment on patients who um, this isn't euthanasia it's um, it's an active refusal of treatment and um, I had to learn the, the legalities and the ethics of that and it drew me into an interest in law and subsequently to applying to King's College London which is the centre of medical law and ethics and to my amazement because uh, my A-levels had not been as brilliant as they might have been they gave me a place and I studied there for three years came out with a two-one, and it was a good time nursing at the same time though to keep me keep me going financially through it. <laughs>
0: To keep you going financially, yet you became an insolvency practitioner. What attracted you to that line of the legal profession?
1: Well, I've always been very sociable, and um, this is also probably going to sound a bit bad. I started when I was a trainee solicitor working at Kennedy's, which then was acting for the National Health Service Litigation Authority, now called NHS Resolution. But I found that the work was way too close to in terms of what I was doing when I'd been nursing. And although I had all the experience in terms of my medical knowledge and the legal knowledge to do it, it was just, I found it quite distressing and um, I couldn't carry on doing it. So frankly, the team at Kennedy's that were then practising insolvency were an awful lot, lot of fun and there was a lot of socialising and to my shame, I'm afraid, <laughs> I opted for the fun bit. It didn't stay fun, sadly. I would
0: imagine the world of the London legal professions pretty cutthroat. Um, how did you deal with the, the stress side of things?
1: Yeah, I found it really stressful. Um, I'm, I moved on from Kennedy's to DLA Piper, which is still the biggest law firm in, in the world. And uh, even that process was quite cutthroat because I was essentially headhunted in the middle of a secondment to the Bank of Scotland, which didn't go down well. I seemed to move from crisis to crisis in my life, and that was another one. And uh, so I ended up working in a really high-powered team um, at DLA Piper in the restructuring and insolvency team. I worked on a range of cases, starting off with litigation, but then moving into acting for clearing banks, mostly Bank of Scotland, and administrators, and then what they call LPA receivers, Law of Property Act receivers in England. Those don't exist in Scotland. And I was working on managing distressed real estate, selling distressed real estate. The Bank of Scotland um, in the property crash had an awful lot of it, so it kept me going for quite a number of years. And then once that portfolio kind of ended, I was then acting for the National Asset Management Agency for the government of Ireland for the property that crashed in Ireland and they subsequently ended up with a, a recession and then a really bad depression over there.
0: So tell me about your connections to the, the West yeah. Highlands.
1: So from being a tiny child, I always wanted to live in the Highlands, and it took 26 years of, as we've just covered, two, two careers in London, one of which was much better paid than the other, some pretty careful investment in London to be able to afford to move to Sky. My grandparents lived in Ned, in Sutherland, and I literally couldn't be kept away from there as a child. I used to stop crying round about Carlisle, so I was quite lucky to survive to teenage. (laughs) I would have thrown me out of the car had it been my parents. I was really irritating. And I was also very close to my grandmother in Ned. I have very happy memories, the happiest memories of my life being up in Ned, and um, I still go back. It was a very, very special time. It's a beautiful place up there. It's just stunning. So when I met my partner, Ian, the only place that we hadn't holidayed in the Highlands between us was I. I'd always headed straight up to Sutherland. So this was in about 2006. And by 2009, we nine, we'd literally had a very short conversation. I said to him, Ian, mean, that's it. I really want to move there. I want to live there. Life's too short, carpe diem, and we'd holidayed in um, Mary's cottages, which I'm, I'm actually now looking out over <laughs> from my from the restaurant window, and we had a great time on Sky. It was quieter then, and I've always loved peace and open spaces. So yes, we then needed to find something to do, and uh, tourism uh, was our, our only option. We weren't qualified as. Um, lawyers to practice in Scotland and actually I didn't want to practice up here it was a complete change. But
0: friends and family in London must have thought you were absolutely mad to throw away a high earning (laughs) legal career and buy a small hotel on an island.
1: My dad completely understood because he has the same love of the Highlands that I do. My mum is yet to be convinced. (laughs) (laughs) When we bought Kurush Khaos it was in an absolutely dreadful state. And uh, there was no central heating system. It was absolutely freezing. My mother used to come up here and just freeze at Christmas time. Yes, I, I think the people that know me really well, I don't think were at all surprised. It was an obvious move for me, knowing how much I love it up here. I have to say, I haven't regretted it for one moment, even with everything that's going on. It's in my DNA, this place. I don't know why that would be, but because um, I have clearly have the wrong accent. But um, I just absolutely love it.
0: You're obviously okay with taking on any challenge in life, but how daunting was it to prepare to open the doors to paying customers?
1: I was quite bad at that. I am very risk-averse as an insolvency lawyer, so basically what I did was I made Ian give his job up first, (laughs) and um, I carried on practising as a lawyer in London for a year and um, flew up here at weekends. I can say this now because they do know, but I didn't tell my law firm, and I was up here making kind of 20 loaves of bread at the weekend and then flying back on red eye on Monday morning, arriving back at my desk saying, I'm just building a holiday home, but actually I wasn't, I was running a restaurant. So the nerves and the um, first year were really all Ian's. And I do remember coming back towards the end of the first year to find Ian looking really actually transparent. He looked like a stick insect because he'd worked so hard. So yeah, it was a really, it was a tough time. It was a busy year. He would say now that he still gets really nervous. It's a performance every night and we're not a big restaurant, but we are perfectionist, both of us. And we want to do the best that we possibly can for our guests. So that nervousness in a way never goes. Uh, the only difference we have now is that we have a renovated property as opposed to a property with no central heating system and equipment in it when we bought it. That just so did not work. It was a very steep learning curve. Is that you settled now? No more career changes? No, I have a lot on my plate just now in terms of both the business reopening, trying to diversify um, and also my positions as a director of Sky Connect and also of the Association of Scotland Self Coaches, both of which I take extremely seriously. And I think there is a huge amount of work to be done going forward to support businesses up here I've got no intention of going anywhere. I'm here to stay. Well, let's
0: talk about your your mm-hmm. role on Sky Connect. What are the challenges facing Sky as you see it?
1: So I think for the immediate future on Sky is just getting through this crisis. Uh, obviously, that goes without saying. At Sky Connect, we are very conscious of, that we have to draw our communities together to allow the tourism businesses to reopen safely. And we're we are very mindful of the cooperation that we need within our communities in order to, to help us do that. So that's the immediate short term. I think from what I've learned about living on Sky, Sky's always had to fight its corner and has quite frequently missed out on its share of funds. For example, the, in the past, the city, city and regional deal. And Sky really needs a voice from its businesses as a whole. I also think, and um, this is these are my opinions, and not in my capacity as director of Sky Connect, that that Sky has to diversify in terms of its businesses up here. It has to find other ways of generating and growing its economy. The dependence on tourism, um, obviously, while very welcome in terms of the economic growth it's brought the island to some extent, obviously there's an impact to be considered there too. We we need to find a way to grow the economy in other ways. And to do that, we need business infrastructure. So, for example, super fast broadband would be a real must here. And other ways, maybe through renewables, whatever it takes, we need to find ways to grow the business, grow the commerce, grow commerce in different ways here and give our young people the opportunities to work in other businesses, um, not just tourism.
0: One of the issues that has reared itself during the COVID-19 crisis is the relationship between accommodation providers and the online travel agents, the the OTAs. What is the problem there?
1: So the issue with the OTAs is that they have way too much power and they remove the interface between customers and, um, and the host Um, Which means that hosts can't manage the expectations of their customers, but equally they can't offer the heart and soul tourism that comes from a direct relationship um, between the customer and the host. Um, In fact, at CruiseCast we have never used OTAs and I will never use them because I like to micromanage my relationship with my customers because I feel it gives them a much better experience. We also have a really, we have what I think is a really good website. We don't need to be on the OTA platforms. Um, the OTA platforms in themselves cause a problem because they look like shop windows. And what people see, first of all, are prices and not the actual detail of what a business is offering. And that, in this current climate, risks a price war with um, customers just looking at the price and not the individual identity of the business I was on a call the other day with the with B&Bs. We were talking about the cleaning protocols. There's a fantastic business, very close by us. And they said they've actually managed to speak to all of their customers. And their customers have even said to them, um, we understand you're having to spend in order to put the safety measures in place. We're prepared to pay more. Now, that that is a total antithesis to what's going on in terms of the OTAs and the bigger hotels who are to some degree dependent on them. I think we have to move away from them. I have to be, We have to absolutely encourage direct booking. And I would like to see something at a national level in Scotland to remove the Scottish tourism economy from this overdependence on um, on these conglomerates. They're only interested in money. The OTAs, which was very apparent when they were operating, to take away agreements to defer cancellation or defer payments that have been made for guest-making bookings, they worked outside of those and they still refunded guests' money, even when those guests had agreed with the hotels or small small businesses that they would defer the payments and take their holiday at the later date. That nearly broke. That brought so many businesses, small businesses here, to their knees at a time when they desperately needed cash flow. And for me, that is something I will not forgive the OTAs for.
0: It does feel, as we prepare to reopen, like a a new beginning for tourism. Are you getting that sense on Sky?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think it's recognised that Sky has a carrying capacity and that the influx of visitors heading to the five hotspots in droves, no one wants to go back to that. We want to be able to manage visitor behaviour and ask our visitors to behave in a different way so they come and see the quieter parts of the island. For example, Elgol. Front of the Vogue cover recently, the word reset, I think, says it all. I think when we first started, or when first started, I haven't been a director the entire time on Sky Connect. I remember at one of the earlier meetings, somebody asking the question, what does sustainable tourism mean? And I don't think we knew the answer then, but I think we do now. I think it means involving our visitors in learning to our beautiful island before they get here, so they know what to expect, they know the impact that their visit will have and also the huge benefit that it will bring. But I think, again, that interface with the OTAs, you can't deal with people unless you're speaking to them before they arrive to the island, and that will help them have a much better experience when they get here, but it will also help us to manage the impact our visitors have.
0: Finally, what are your plans for reopening and how are bookings looking so far?
1: We are a niche business, fortunately, done very well in the past from um, tiny elopements and weddings, and um, they are ongoing. We're very, very lucky here in that on Sky that we have some amazing wedding photographers, and um, I know a few of them really quite well now, and they've driven our business. Um, because they've portrayed the beauty of the scenery around us and the perfect locations for wild weddings. Um, so that that part of the market is still really strong. We're getting actually, a, for the time, a fairly steady stream of inquiries. We're very lean in that it's Ian, myself, and then two amazing employees who um, are just absolutely fantastic. But it means that we can operate at a reduced level so we can implement social distancing perhaps more easily than other businesses. The restaurant is compartmentalised so it's easy to put spaces between tables and actually even to put a one-way traffic system in so that people don't have to meet, they don't have to use the same exits or entrances. It's a great time to come to Sky because it's much quieter. it is going to be much quieter than it has been in the last few years and um, particularly if you've been holed up in a flat in London for the last few weeks you'll absolutely love it. That's why I live here. It's open space, it's fresh air, it's wildlife. It's just, you're able to breathe.
0: Claire Winskill, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you, Simon. Sky Connect is proud to be the destination management organisation for Sky. At Sky Connect, we've been working hard, helping businesses prepare for Scotland's phased reopening. We have a new website, MySkyTime.com, which lets visitors plan, book and get to know exactly what's on offer across sky before they arrive. Why not head on to MySkyTime.com and see for yourself all the amazing activities that are right on your doorstep. Thank you.
0: My next guest is Sergeant Bruce Crawford of Police Scotland. In normal years, he wouldn't have had time to speak to me in July, as the population of Sky increased tenfold or more during the peak tourist season. This year is very different for obvious reasons, but will also bring its challenges. Bruce, welcome to Skytime.
2: Thank you very much, Simon. It's good to be with you.
0: Now, firstly, talk me through a normal summer and the range of issues you and your colleagues would be dealing with on a daily basis.
2: Well, a normal summer for the police on Sky would really be the same as a normal summer anywhere else in the country. We we deal with the same problems as every other policing area, but you've got to add to the mix that we get hundreds of thousands of visitors to the area who are never normally here. So whilst we're dealing with our, our normal calls, domestic incidents, car crashes, shoplifting, drugs, you then throw into the mix all these people who come here who don't know the area, who are all generally here to have a really good time, But uh, just like ourselves, when we go abroad on holiday, sometimes we find ourselves in a bit of trouble. So a normal summer would consist of a lot of close working with the Sky Mountain Rescue team for people injuring themselves on some of our mountains and viewpoints and things. A lot of work with the Coast Guard for people injuring themselves on the coastlines or missing persons. So normally our summer consists of a bit more kind of vulnerability work, people less familiar with the area, who need a bit of help. But the amount of people coming here also brings a lot of benefits for the officers who work here as well, because not many people are able to say they've met people from 20 different countries in a day during their shift, all people who are nice and want to spend time learning about the area that that we're working in. So there's a real buzz about the place in a normal summer. It's busy, but it's a good busy. We're meeting nice people from all over the world, and uh, we're providing a good service to them when we're doing it, so it's a really enjoyable time with the amount of events that are on as well. We get to work at these events and provide a service there. We're really visible in the community, and it's a good opportunity for us to meet new people and for them to gain some experience about policing in a, a rural area that they might not be used to. And summer is obviously the most enjoyable time for us here because the weather can at times be quite nice as well.
0: <laughs> so, what's it been like for you and your colleagues during lockdown?
2: Very, very strange. I think the word strange has probably been the most used word in the police station because in March time when this all started, that's when we would really be starting to pick up in terms of call volume, seeing much more cars coming on the island. And really that just stopped pretty much overnight. It stopped. And it's been a good opportunity for us to kind of catch up, regroup, get a bit of the paperwork done that was maybe not getting done, but The calls have still continued. We've still had the day-to-day calls that we would normally get. We've still had our firearms inquiries to get on top of and you throw into the mix uh, that we've had some officers who have had to stay at home because of shielding, then you've got some resourcing implications as well. And it's really taken us a bit of time to get our heads around how we can work with that. So we've done a lot of work on Zoom with our meetings we've had officers working from home with laptops able to do a lot of the paperwork that normally gets done in the office. So it's given us an insight into what we can actually achieve by not being in the office as much. And it's helped us kind of look at how we can do our work going forward, maybe doing it a bit differently. So instead of going to Inverness for an hour meeting, we can actually do that in Sky and spend more time in the community instead of traveling back and forth. So there's there's definitely been positives and and giving us the opportunity to look at how we work. But to stand in Summerled Square at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night and be the only person in the square and hear absolute silence is surreal. And it's not right, because as good as it is for us that there, is, there isn't the violent crime or the drunken issues that we sometimes get on a Saturday night, albeit on a low level, you've got to recognise that that means that the pubs are not open, the restaurants are not open, the hotels are not open. And if people aren't getting the money from that income, ultimately, further down the line, that's going to cause greater problems. So it's, it's looking at the bigger picture. We've, we've had that bit of peace and quiet eh, on the Saturday nights, but we recognise that that's not right and things need to change soon. So it's been surreal. We've caught up with a lot of work, but we are very much ready to get going again and start welcoming people back
0: now the community has been fantastic it's really pulled together sky community response has done a brilliant piece of work have you been assisting them with some of their efforts
2: yeah it was never in doubt when this all happened that sky was going to pull together and come up with something that just worked straight away and they did it the the group got together they got the marketing in place they had the right people with the right attitude wanting to help people and I know at the start, there was fears that there was going to be so many people wanted to help that apathy would set in really quickly. And that just didn't happen. People have kept going, they've kept going. And we were on hand ready to help with anything that needed. So we've done a little bit of help with doing some deliveries for PPE that has came up for care homes and things. So um, we were aware of uh, volunteer drivers driving long distances. So we were able to intercept some of that and, and take it up during our shifts. But really, it's testament to the the organizers and the group and the people behind it that we haven't had to step in very often. And any time we have, it's it's really been a kind of a last case scenario where let's get a police to help us quickly with a wee job and we've been able to do it. So as I say, it was never in doubt that the community was going to pull together. The good news that we've heard from so many people about the jobs that they've done has just been fantastic. And it'll be interesting to see how a group like that fits into society moving forward because there's a lot of money been raised to keep the group going and as we start to get back to some kind of normality it'll be interesting to see where that fits in amongst the kind of statutory groups that we've got and third sector groups that we work with so we're we're looking forward to working with them going forward.
0: So as tourism opens up again what are going to be the key challenges for you specifically this year?
2: So what we're going to see is increased numbers again It'll be interesting to see where those numbers are coming from, if it's gonna be predominantly UK visitors or closer Europe. But the, the challenges are ultimately gonna be the same. We're gonna have more people coming into the area, people going onto the hills, potentially people getting lost or finding themselves injured in the coastline. So Sky Mountain Rescue Team have had their quietest spell that they've ever had, but they've continued training. We continue training with them and the Coast Guard. So We're ready to respond to all that when they come. We're going to have more issues on the roads again because the roads will get busier. So we'll be looking for tolerance from the the local communities again to remember that that's what it's normally like. And I suppose we're going to get more issues again with people potentially coming when there's less facilities than they anticipate there will be. So it'll be about getting that message out again that we've been trying to do for quite a few years now to make sure people are prepared for when they come. We're looking forward to it, though. We're ready for people coming back. We've got the staffing in place as normal. The training's continued during all this time, so there's not going to be a a big gap or any problems. And we just hope that uh, people are able to arrive here safely, follow the rules while they're here, and that uh, local communities are, are willing to accept them and ready to accept them.
0: It's fair to say that there's a lot of concern within the community about the impact of opening up. What can the police do to allay those fears?
2: There's going to be an impact with opening up because people have a fear of the virus, quite rightly so. There's legislation coming into place to make face coverings mandatory very soon and it's been quite challenging for the police with the the amount of changes that there has been in the legislation and the guidelines and the difference between legislation that we can enforce and guidelines that we can encourage people to comply with. So there will be challenges in making sure that local communities understand the need for tourists to come back, and that the visitors understand the needs of the local communities and the fears of the local communities. So we'd be looking just to keep sharing messages on our social media. We'll be engaging with visitors as they come, and encouraging them to comply with any guidelines that are in place, explaining the rules, because it's going to be very difficult for people who maybe come and land in England, they've got a separate set of rules in England, then when they come to Scotland, they're going to have a separate set of rules here that they must abide with. So enforcement has always been the very last option for us during this, because if it's difficult for the police to keep up with the changes in legislation, it's definitely difficult for the public to keep up with it. So we'll engage, we'll explain the regulations, encourage people to comply, and then at the very last stage, we'll look to enforce things. But The key part of this is going to be local communities accepting that visitors are going to come to Sky. Everyone here, whether they say it or not, benefits in some way from tourism. So we've got to welcome them back and encourage people to come and stay and feel safe here so that they go back and then tell their friends and come back next year. Because even as it's great for us not to have any incidents, we know that Sky wouldn't be the place it is without visitors coming to the island. And that, in the long term, benefits the police because it benefits the whole community.
0: Sky Connect and other bodies have been pushing the message that visitors should book all of their accommodation and activities in advance. How can you police that to make sure that people aren't arriving with nowhere to stay?
2: That's been a a long-running challenge for me. Um, It's five years now that I've been uh, the sergeant in Portree. And three years ago, when there was a lot of publicity about the numbers of people coming to Sky, we were quite vocal on trying to get people to make sure they had accommodation booked. And that presented some challenges in the media as the, as it was potentially twisted to not mean what we had said it meant. And we, we managed to get around that and it was fine. Policing that is very challenging because ultimately we've got no control over where people travel to and uh, what they choose to do. But we will continue to push that in our social media messaging and doing things like this, trying to get the message out as far as we can to ensure that people book accommodation before they come. And in fairness, over the past year or so, we haven't had as much people coming to the police station in the middle of the night, finding themselves having to sleep in their car because people are being that bit more prepared. I think word is out that Sky is a busy place and you need to book before you go again, it will simply come back to us engaging, explaining, and encouraging people to, to do it. But ultimately, people will have travelled across the country and across the world to get here. And we've got to accept that if somebody's able to do that, they're able to book their own accommodation. But working with Sky Connect, doing our things on local radio, using the media, using our own social media, which has got good coverage at, at Lohabar Sky Police on Twitter... We'll keep pushing that message and trying to work with others and the hotel groups to to get that message across.
0: One of the big issues is this distinction between wild camping and informal camping. It's a big concern in some of the the smaller communities. Can you get involved and move people on who are parked up inappropriately?
2: There's difficulties there because of the access rights in Scotland and wild camping being legal. The, The act of wild camping Whatever that is out with a campsite is not in itself necessarily illegal. There can be issues with leaving litter, doing to toilet in places that can cause offence to people. And that really comes down to the vast majority of people who are doing that are responsible campers who have all the right equipment, who choose a place to do it away from other people, who won't be offensive. And like many, many other things, it comes down to the small minority of people who grab all the attention by doing it incorrectly. So if you've got people doing it at a roadside, leaving mess, that's what's going to cause alarm and annoyance in the community. And we can get involved in that, but we would ask that campers and the communities almost self-police. It should be socially unacceptable to go somewhere, camp, and leave a mess. And it comes back to that saying of take away nothing other than memories and leave only footprints. You know, go and enjoy it but be respectful of the community. And if the community have got concerns about a specific camper or an issue, then we would ask them to give us a call. We'll attend and we'll engage with those who are doing it to make sure all is above board. Part of the challenge is that with the, the guidance and what you're allowed to do changing so often, one day something might be illegal or against the guidelines, and the next day it might be okay. So people will phone up and we're having to explain, yeah, you're right, yesterday that was against the law but now it's okay and it's getting that understanding the message across so it's having a bit of patience and, and tolerance which we all need to do and as long as people come here and are respectful to the area come and enjoy the scenery the magical place where I'm lucky enough to be paid to work and go home and leave nothing other than footprints then everyone will be happy.
0: There has as always been a lot of chatter on social media about shutting the bridge or being less welcoming towards visitors does that concern you?
2: It does concern me because, as I said before, we're all reliant and benefit in some way from tourism here and the the benefits that visitors bring to the area. And talk of closing bridges and telling people not to come isn't really the, the approach that we want to give. It's not the welcome that Sky would be traditionally famous for in the highlands, and it's not what we want to portray ourselves as, so as many things on social media, you've got quite a strong vocal minority of people who feel like that and we've had reports before about things on uh, social media that we've intervened with because it was getting towards being potentially criminal so people report things to us and we'll take action and I would encourage people if if anyone is suggesting that people from out with this area are not welcome here they're walking a very tight line between what is acceptable and what could be criminal. So there is no issues at all with people reporting that to us. We'll make an assessment of it. And if we need to go visit someone, we will do. But it very much again comes back to people being tolerant, accepting that people are going to travel here and enjoy our area. And if we can encourage people to do that sensibly and with respect for the local communities, then there is absolutely no reason why People in this area shouldn't be accepting of them and should be welcoming them across the bridge to come and sample what Sky's got to offer.
0: Sergeant Bruce Crawford, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Simon. And that's all for this edition of the Skytime podcast. If you have a subject you'd like me to explore or a guest you'd like to hear, please email simon at simoncousinsmedia.co.uk. As we move out of lockdown and start promoting Sky again, the podcast needs your support to keep going. Please get in touch if you'd like to sponsor Skytime or advertise your business on the next podcast. Until then, stay safe and stick to the rules. Aikiva!